You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. For those that may not know me, my name is Ben Anderson. I'm an associate pastor here at the church. Pastor Al is actually out in Arizona visiting his daughter and granddaughter. His daughter is actually uh, recovering from surgery, so they are out there helping with that. But last week, Pastor Al started as part of our vision message series talking about the fun topic of unity, the fun topic of unity and what that looks like within the body of Christ. And if you remember last year, or last year, last week, he had about 12 points, and it was kind of like a survey of a lot of what Jesus said about unity, what Paul said about unity, and then what that first church said about unity. So today is actually part two of the message on unity, and today we're going to get really, really practical. Today it's going to get personal about what does it look like for you and what does it look like for me to live out this unity each and every day and as we gather as a church. You know, as believers, it is our mission. We are to strive very hard to maintain unity within our church. Um, last week, Pastor Al said this statement, and I want to say it again. A unified church is unstoppable. A unified church is a very healthy church. And I just want you guys to picture for imagine, just think of everything that we could accomplish as we focus and strive on unity. Think of the impact that we can have when we do events like Share What You Wear, and we're all unified together, and we're impacting our community, and we're serving our community, and we're rallying everybody around us to a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what unity is all about. I want to start with this question. Are you guys willing to get into the nitty-gritty the messy, get-your-hands-dirty state that it's going to take for our church to step into this calling of unity and each of us. That's what this whole entire message series has been about, about vision, stepping into the calling that God has for each of us. You know, all of us sitting in this room right now, including myself, we are to be a source of unity we are never to be a divisive force. We are called to love everybody in this room and outside of this room unconditionally. That doesn't mean that we're always going to agree with everything all the time. We're going to, you know, have riffles and raffles, and we're going to get frustrated with each other, and there's going to be things that happen. But what it does mean is that we are willing to set aside many of our preferences for unity in the church. So the main passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to go ahead and just read this first verse because this first verse of Ephesians chapter 4 sets up everything else that we're going to talk about this morning. And it says this, and this is Paul um, writing while he's in prison. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy 
of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And one of the things that we know about this particular church, because it says it in Revelation, is that this church did some things well. They did really good at teaching the truth. They did really good at keeping out false teaching. But one of the things that they didn't do so well is they lost their passion and they lost their love for Jesus. So what Paul does is he actually spends the first three chapters of Ephesians reminding them of their calling, reminding them of their salvation, reminding them of Jesus and the breadth and the depth of the awesomeness of who Jesus and God is. And then where we pick up in chapter four this morning, it gets really, really practical. He picks up and he talks about, hey, this is how we should be living our lives. I want to highlight one word in this first verse, and that is the word worthy. And I want to kind of geek out on you for a second. But this word worthy uh, is derived from a word called axios. And what axios means, it means equal balance or in weight. So what Paul is saying here is that our calling should be in balance. Our calling should be equal to how we live and how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis. We should be living in a way that's balanced with everything that we know about who Jesus is and our salvation and all the cool doctrinal things that Paul talks about the first three chapters. And part of this is about unity. As believers, we are either in balance with what God's word says or we're out of balance. Uh, one of my first jobs was working at a pizza place. It was an Italian restaurant. And I was actually one of those guys who would toss pizzas in the air. It was an open kitchen. And one of these days, maybe I should have done that this morning. That would have been really cool. But one of the things that I had to do was make hundreds and hundreds of pounds of pizza dough. And we had the big commercial mixers. And we would have to weigh out massive amounts of pretty much just flour. It's flour, water, yeast, a few other things. But we had this big scale, and I would stack all the weights on that. Then I put the ingredients on the other side, and you had to be very precise. But that's exactly what Paul is saying here. We should be living in a way that's balanced with our salvation. Our calling in life should be in balance. We're either out of balance or we're in balance. And as Christians, part of this balance is unity. And we need to make sure that we're living that out. So the question that we are going to answer this morning is simple. How can you and I maintain unity in our church? How can you and I maintain unity here at Lima Baptist Temple and with other believers literally around the world? So let's go ahead and look at Ephesians Chapter 4, I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then I'm going to skip a few and go down to verses 15 and 16. So Ephesians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So remember, worthy means balanced or equal weight. It should match. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And there it's talking about spiritual gifts. Um, Then let's skip down to verses 15 and 16. This is the end result of how we maintain unity. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I absolutely love this passage when it comes to unity because it's very straightforward, it's very practical, and it shows us what it looks like, what that end result is when a church is truly unified. This is our calling as believers. This is our mandate. So this morning, I have four simple steps, four simple points uh, that we're going to look at. It's not 12 today, but these four will take a little bit of time to get through. But let's get started. Number one, the first one is our common identity. So when we're getting together as a church, when we're getting together in our small groups, when we're getting together in serve groups, we need to focus on our common identity or the things that we have in common. We need to focus on what we have in common rather than our differences. Romans 14, 19 says this, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In order to focus on our common identity, we need to be more concerned about other spiritual health than our own personal convictions. And in the church, there are quite a few areas where it is okay to have very different, differing views on certain things. We're going to talk about some of those. But way too often, it's so easy for us to get caught up in conversations and we get frustrated with each other over things that in eternity don't really matter. So what do we need to intentionally focus on? Um, I love verse 4 here in Ephesians chapter 4. There are actually seven things that Paul says we should focus on as believers that we all have in common as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to go ahead and read this one time, and then we'll talk about it. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's a lot of ones there. This passage shows us seven things that create our common identity. Let's kind of talk through these. So the first one that we see there is one body. That's referring to the body of Christ. There is only one church. Jesus is the head of that body, and this includes churches all over the world, all believers, all followers of Jesus everywhere. That's people here at Lima Baptist Temple. That's people just around the corner at Lima Community. That's people at Lima First on the other side of town, and I could keep listing churches, but I won't. But all believers in the world make up this one body of Christ. Then it goes on and it talks about the one spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. That's the same Holy Spirit that indwells us when we're saved. That's the same Holy Spirit that's our helper that transforms us. 
That's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And think about that, guys. We have that same Holy Spirit and that same power inside of us. That's amazing. That's the one Spirit. Then it goes on and it talks about one hope. All believers, all Christians, all followers of Jesus have a common hope in our future with God. You know, we're all awaiting that hope of when Jesus comes back one day, and he's promised to do that. Uh, The next one that's there is one Lord. There's only one God who is Lord and master over everything. We don't worship multiple gods. It doesn't matter who we are, whether we're male or female or what our race is or where we go to church. If we're a true follower of Jesus, we all worship the one true God. Then it goes and it talks about that one faith. There is only one faith. There is only one truth. And all of that truth is contained right here in the Bible, God's word. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Then there is one baptism. There's only one baptism. And what I love about baptism is that it demonstrates the reality of what we believe. It demonstrates the reality of our faith. And it also identifies us with a local body of Christ or a local church where we are committed to maintaining unity. Then the last one, the seventh thing, there is one God and Father. There is one God who is the Father of all who have faith in Him. We are His children. Just think about this. So those are some of the things that shape our common identity, that those are the things that we all have in common, and those are the things that we need to focus on rather than our differences. But I want to make it very clear. God's vision for the church is unity. It's not necessarily uniformity. God made us all unique. God made us all different with different personalities and different sizes and different makeups. You know, we come from different races. But we need to make sure we're finding value in those differences and that we can learn from those different characteristics and personalities that make us all very unique. Here's what you guys might be thinking at this point. You're like, well, what about all of those differences that I don't really like about the person sitting next to me? And that may not be the case for everybody, but what about all those differences of the guy who sits on the other side of the auditorium that really drives me so, so, so crazy? Um, And it could be a personality thing. It could be maybe a belief, you know, that we have about something. But one of the things that I have noticed in ministry is that when we get our focus off of the main thing, that's when a bunch of conflict or conflict in relationships within the church tends to kind of start festering or start popping up. This is when conflict arises. So I'm kind of talking about personality differences, but also I'm talking about differences in beliefs. The Bible actually calls this a disputable matter. And like I said, there's some things that we absolutely must agree on, like 
There are seven of them listed in Ephesians chapter 4, and there's a lot more, like we need to believe the Bible is true and inerrant, that Jesus rose from the dead, and I could keep going on, just like the seven things that we talked about, but there's also things that don't matter so much. Romans 14.1 says this, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And I would encourage you, Romans 13 and 14, that talks a lot about this matter. But we need to be more concerned with the spiritual well-being of those around us than winning an argument over a particular belief or a view that doesn't really matter in eternity. And we could even have a whole message just on this, kind of talking through some of that, which we don't have time for this morning. But what about dealing with those people that just drive you absolutely crazy? You know, how are we supposed to navigate this? When I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of a kind of a marketing campaign that Chick-fil-A did uh, probably 10 years ago, right when I first moved to Lima. And by the way, I made a BLT sandwich on Friday and I put Chick-fil-A sauce on it and it was really, really good. So that is a, kind of a good professional tip there. But Chick-fil-A has this campaign, it's old, but it says, said, every person has a story if you bother to read it. So when you guys are dealing with or working with those people that just drive you so, so crazy, and you say, instead of saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you like this? Well, you're not really saying that. You have a smile out in the Welcome Center, and you're like, oh, how's it go? Yeah, you're doing that. But in your head, that's what you're thinking. Instead of saying, what's wrong with you? Think to yourself, what's your story? What got you to this point? And when you actually ask that question, and it may be verbally, it may be real, it may be just observing certain things. When you really try to get to know somebody, you might be really, really surprised at how far that person has come in their walk with Jesus. See, we have this problem, you know, as Christians, is we tend to evaluate things based on kind of the end result and where they are now, and we don't take into consideration everything that they've been through, and maybe it's trauma, maybe it, it could be a ton of different things. But as we're working with people, serving with people, it could be here at church, it could be in our small group, it could be on a serve team. You know, we need to keep those things in mind. So that's the starting point for maintaining unity in the church. It's understanding that we have a common identity, and we need to focus on that common identity rather than all of the differences that get us all frustrated with each other. So here's the second step. Unity takes work. So unity doesn't just happen. If left up to whatever, unity actually would not happen. Unity is absolutely not accidental. If you want to have a great relationship with those in the church, you have to work pretty hard, you know, at unity. You know, whether that's, like I said, in a small group, here in the auditorium, or on a Sunday morning, we have to work hard at it. It doesn't just happen. You know, it's kind of like, this is going to take you guys back to science class, maybe middle school or high school. 
but it's kind of like the second law of thermodynamics. Do you guys know what that second law says? I'm going to read it because I'll butcher it if I don't. The second law states that there is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. And this is called entropy. So I have to work really hard, my wife and I, to keep our house in order. We have three kids. It's always messy. We have to pick it up at the end of the day. If we don't, it's going to get naturally worse and worse and worse. On top of that, we live in a really old house built in 1926, so bricks crumble and chimneys fall, roofs get holes in them. And if we don't maintain that, it's going to eventually fall apart. That's what entropy is. That's what the second law of thermodynamics states. And this is similar to unity within the body of Christ. If we don't understand that unity takes a lot of work and we put the work in, our unity as a church and our unity with other believers outside of the church, it's going to erode. It's that simple. Ephesians 4.3 says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this says that we should be very eager to maintain unity. Notice it doesn't say build unity. Uh, we are to maintain what the Holy Spirit has put into place. Uh, some of your versions, depending on what version you have, it might say diligent to preserve or make every effort. Those words aren't really something that's just, oh, we'll casually just sit back and, you know, unity is just going to happen. We're going to sing kumbaya around a campfire and it's all going to be good. No, we have to work really, really hard at this. And we need to get that into our mind. We have a mindset that we understand that unity takes work and it's not just relying on letting it happen. We need to be intentional. I want to look at one other aspect of maintaining unity. What, I think when we talk about maintaining unity, it's helpful to look at kind of the opposite of that. So what is something that we should not do while we're trying to maintain unity? And uh, we see this a little bit here in Ephesians chapter 4. But we need to work really, really hard at not bringing worldly values into the church and there's a lot of different ones I could talk about in this day and age, but I want to keep it pretty simple for this message. Ephesians 4.2 says this, we're supposed to live out the calling that God has for us with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience. We're not supposed to live out our calling with pride, with fame, with power, with an attitude of, well, it's my way or the highway. You know, in the world, those things matter. In the body of Christ, character matters. Do we have a character that's reflective of humility, gentleness, patience? And I could keep going on and on. Those are just a few that are mentioned here in Ephesians 4. But as believers, we absolutely must have this attitude of eagerness and be very diligent about maintaining unity on, on, in the church and we need to be on guard against these worldly values that it's so easy for them to creep in in our attitudes and just a bunch of other ways. But let's go on to the third step. The third thing that we need to realize and that we see here in Ephesians chapter 4 is realistic expectations. 
this is kind of a fun one to talk about, but you and I need to have realistic expectations. We need to have these, not only when it comes to us in the body of Christ, but in a lot of our relationships, in a lot of areas of life. And it's really easy to slip into a mindset of unrealistic expectations. Just think about some of the more fun, practical ways of this. You know, I I love it when I'm talking to a couple who maybe just got engaged. You know, they are so excited and they're on fire. They're planning their wedding. They're planning their honeymoon. And they're like, life is going to be perfect. Life is going to be amazing. We're never going to get in arguments. We're never going to have a fight. And they get married. They're on day two of their honeymoon and they're fighting. I love it when they, that happens and we can talk through that. You know, I remember when I was, Sarah and I first got married and, you know, we were talking about having kids and I'd see kids running around the welcome center and I'd be like, Sarah and I would kind of talk and be like, man, our kids are never going to act like that. Our kids are going to hold the Bible, they're going to hold their paper, and they're going to just follow us around and we're going to talk to all the wonderful, delightful church members, right? But guess what? Just go out to the welcome center after the Sunday morning service and, uh, you will see them running up and down the stairs and hiding under the, the ghost serve love table and all that. But our expectations are unrealistic um, in, in many ways. You know, it could be in church, looking for a place to work, all those different things. But I have some news for you guys. If you're looking for the perfect church, Lima Baptist Temple is not it. There is no perfect church because there's no perfect people, right? We all have a sin nature, and I hate to break this to you. I know you guys all think I'm pretty awesome, and Pastor Al's awesome, and our whole team is awesome, but I am a person who struggles with sin in their life. You know, as Pastor Al says, you know, I'm a mess, you're a mess, we're all a mess. We all struggle with things. And to expect any church to always do everything right and to always minister to everybody in the perfect way every single time and every single instance, guys, that is a far-off fantasy. You know, a group of sinners can never create a perfect relationship. Just like my wife and I, she's a sinner, but guess what? I'm a bigger sinner. We're always going to have conflict. We're always going to have troubles in our relationship. Psalms 119.96 says this, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. What this is talking about, you and I cannot achieve perfection. There is a limit to literally everything human. And guys, the pursuit of perfection is an idol that can really, really easily pop up in our lives. Nothing is perfect except for God. Nothing is perfect except for his words, the Bible, there is nothing on this planet that works perfectly. I want to spend a few minutes talking about excuses. You might be like, well, how does that fit in? Well, let me kind of talk through this. I think it's really, really easy for us to come up with excuses when we don't like what we see in the church or when we feel like the church is not living up to our expectations or the standard that we have. Uh, It'll be excuses like, well, you know what, I 
I'm really not getting fed here. And there could be some legit, that could be a, little, a legitimate excuse, but if the gospel is being preached, it's not. Or I could worship better if it weren't for fill in the blank. And I'm not going to go through all the things because I know there's a lot of them that we talk about in the church, right? Or what about this one? If this ministry was available, then man, it would be perfect. All my needs would be met. But here's what I know about this. And this isn't always the case, but I found that when a church member moves from being a bystander or somebody sitting on the sidelines, a pew potato, just sitting there, not really doing much, just observing, and they move to being a contributor in the church, many times a lot of those types of excuses will go away. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about in that first verse of Ephesians, where are we worthy of the calling? Are we living a life worthy of the calling? Is it in balance? If we're just a bystander, let me tell you, it is not in balance. And we have to be very careful with our words not to lean towards criticism as we live in this tension between how things really are and where we want them to go. When I was back at Cedarville, uh, I read for the first time as part of my class, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, which is by Rick Warren. And he has a really good quote in there that's talking about the ideal church. And it says this, Longing for the ideal while criticizing the real is evidence of spiritual immaturity. On the other hand, settling for the real without striving for the ideal is complacency. Spiritual maturity is living with that tension. And I, I love that quote because we often so, much, so many times do that, right? We'll criticize how things actually are, but we don't really want to do anything to help make it better. We don't want to figure out our spiritual gifts. We don't want to get involved and serve and make things better for our church and reach the community in bigger, stronger ways and build better discipleship programs and build better kids ministry and build better youth ministry. No, we'd rather complain and come up with an excuse and maybe even go somewhere else. But I would just want to challenge us. Let's make sure that we are offering encouragement to others instead of criticism. Let's make sure we're offering truth and love, as Paul says in this chapter. Uh, but Paul also gives us some really practical advice for how, how do we live in this tension between how things really are and where, you know, maybe we'd like to see things. Ephesians 4.2, it says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, and here's the key, bearing with one another in love. You know, challenges are going to come into our relationships. They're going to come into the church. Tension is going to exist. But Paul says we're to bear with one another in love. Other versions say tolerate, make an allowance for others' faults. But the way that we do this is by focusing on loving people right where they are today. When we do that, we can put up with people, we can tolerate people, we can bear with them in love at every stage of spiritual maturity. And we need to learn how to love our church as it grows for, through all these different stages. One of the things that 
you know, I've been amazed by is I started coming here to Lima Baptist Temple about 2009. It was the first time I came through this, you know, the doors here. And just how my love for this church has changed, you know, over the years when I first came, like many people, you know, I was more, I just sat back, I attended Sunday mornings, didn't really get involved. But as I I started getting involved with the church, you know, my love for it started to grow. And, you know, I fast forward to, to this day, I absolutely love this church. I know God has me right here for a very specific reason. I don't need to be at a church that maybe might be considered more hip. I don't need to be at a church that might be considered more traditional. God has me right here for a very specific reason, and Sarah and I have absolutely come to love this church very much, but we all need to learn how to love each other at different stages of life and spiritual maturity, and also the church. 1 Peter 4.8 sums all of this up very well. It says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Um, let me say it another way. This is actually the message version of it. It says, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love can make up for almost anything. If we truly do love people, if all of us here at Lima Baptist Temple, if we truly love like our life depended on it, do you know how we would radically change not only our church, but our community in Ohio? The implications would be huge in a positive way. We have got to learn to love like our life depended on it. So let's move on to the last point, and this one will be uh, pretty quick. But it's more so a question that I want you guys to ask and kind of think about. But it's this question, where do I fit in You know, the calling that you and I are supposed to be living out each and every day is one of service, one of serving other people. One of my absolute and most favorite passages in the Bible about serving comes from Mark, you know, chapter 10, and I've I've probably talked about it from uh, this platform before. But in this passage, James and John, they request to sit on the right and the left of Jesus, And, you know, that's a place of authority, that's a place of prominence. But then the other disciples, they get kind of pretty frustrated and fed up with that. Then Jesus has these words. He says this, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Here it is. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we see from this passage that the pathway to greatness, according to Jesus, it's the opposite of this world. The pathway to greatness is downward. It's full of service. It's full of humility. It's full of focusing your life on other people. And one of the best ways to do that is to figure out where do I fit in. And the way you do that is by your spiritual gift. And I would even say this, if you guys do not know what your spiritual gift is or have kind of started that direction, it is impossible to live out the calling that God has for you. That's, he made spiritual gifts to be an integral part of building up the church and building up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this is talking about spiritual gifts We all have a role to play based on the abilities that he's given us by God. 
And there's only really unique ways that certain people can reveal Jesus to others. You know, it's different for all of us. 1 Peter 4.10 through 11 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One of my absolute favorite parts about being a pastor, well, there's several of them, but one of the top ones is, you know, watching people when they figure out what God has called them to do, when they figured out what their spiritual gift is, and they begin serving and, you know, getting involved uh, with the church. You know, I, when I look at a church and I see all the different people that are serving in different areas, I'm always amazed, you know, on the kids' ministry side of things, we have some very, very talented people that can share Bible stories. I remember one of the first Bible schools that I helped out with, and I was watching, you know, individuals share these stories. I'm like, man, they have stepped into the calling that God has for their life. They're in the realm of their spiritual gift. And I could keep going on and on with stories, but, you know, our time's running out this morning. But discovering and understanding your spiritual gift is so, so, so important. And, you know, as a pastoral team, we would love nothing more than to help you with that. If you go to our website underneath the serve area, there's actually a little assessment uh, that helps you and can be a tool or a guide to kind of help you figure out what your spiritual gift may be. Um, And you couple that with lots of prayer and reading what Uh, scripture says about spiritual gifts, you know, that's a great, great place to start. But let's look at the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 4. This is the end result of maintaining unity, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, that's the end result. You know, you and I need to absolutely be eager to maintain unity. We do that by focusing on everything that we have in common, not our differences. You know, we need to focus on our common identity. Uh, We maintain unity by adapting a mindset of realistic expectations and understanding that unity takes a lot, a lot of work. It's not just going to happen. And then the last one we just talked about, by asking that question, where do I fit into all this? What's my specific role that God has for me not just here at Lima Baptist Temple, but in the Lima community and, you know, out in the world. So here's how I would summarize kind of these last two verses in chapter 4. This is the end result. When we are eager to maintain unity, it results in a healthier church where we are all in the right spot, growing and serving. That is the end result. You know, a healthy church is one where everybody's discovering their spiritual gifts, they're in the right spot, 
We're all spiritually growing, and we're all serving and doing what God has called us to do. So those are some of the practical things that you and I can do to maintain unity within the body of Christ. And, you know, as we prepare for the invitation this morning, you know, there might be, maybe there's a relationship with somebody in this room that maybe you've just really hurt and you need to, you know, come and pray about that or pray about that in your pew. I don't know what it might be for you, but during this time, I want you guys just to think, what is that one thing that I need to do to help maintain the unity within the body of Christ, not just here at Lima Baptist Temple, but within the body of Christ everywhere. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are thankful uh, for the church. We're thankful for what you can do in and through the church. And Lord, as we talk about this topic and kind of let it sink in, this topic of unity, Lord, I pray that it is one that we would take to heart. I pray that is one that we would really seriously reflect on. And Lord, as I think about unity in our church, I am so thankful for the unity that we have. I'm thankful for the people that build each other up. I'm thankful for the people that serve. I'm thankful for uh, the people that speak truth and love. And Lord, I just pray for uh, maybe the relationships within this room that maybe they've been damaged, maybe they've been hurt. Lord, I pray that even today, even this morning, even later this week, uh, that maybe there would be action taken on those. But Lord, I just pray even for myself, what is that one thing out of these four things that we talked about this morning that I need to focus on to help better maintain unity here at Lima Baptist Temple? But Father, we are just so thankful for everything that you have blessed us with and what you're doing here at Lima Baptist Temple. And Lord, as we come together as a church to serve our community in just about three weeks with serve, Share What You Wear, I just pray that you would be in that, you would be with us. But what's even cooler about this, Father, is that we don't just asking for unity within Lima Baptist Temple. We're partnering with another church right down the road, Cable Road Alliance. And I pray that we would have unity with them and that, Lord, we would be a representation of what unity in the body of Christ looks like to our community that is lost, to our community that desperately needs the love that only you can offer. But Father, we just thank you and we praise you for it all. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.